It's February 25th, 1957, and someone reports finding the body of a little boy in a box in Philadelphia. This was nearly 64 years ago, yet the boy in the box, or rather, America's unknown child, is still considered one of the most infamous and mind-boggling cases to strike our country. We are your hosts, Helen Allen and Sherry Ferreira. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. So, like I said, um, it's February 25th, 1957. The boy, um, his body was found in a box in an illegal dumping ground near Berry Road, ironically, in Philadelphia. Okay. Um, the boy was estimated to be about four to six years old. Um, he was 30 pounds and three feet and three inches. And he was found naked, but he was wrapped in a blanket. Okay. So, my initial thoughts... Um, for that is like was the person disposing him someone that cared for him because I feel like otherwise maybe they wouldn't have wrapped him up in a blanket. Exactly. You know. Um the boy's hair was cut and his body seemed as though it had been recently washed, which is another thing that makes you think like he came from a, a home that cared for him or Yeah, because this all shows signs of like you said, someone caring for him, the cutting of the hair, wrapping it up, right. like maybe like to hide guilt or yeah, or, or for what even, they've done. Yeah. So it's at this point, they're like, what does this mean? Really? Um, there's small scars in several places, including his chin, groin and left ankle. Some of these scars suggested that he like underwent a medical procedure. That was super vague in my research, but you know, um, and his cause of death was ruled as head injuries. Hmm. However, there were no witnesses to the dumping of this boy's body, unfortunately. And do we know if you said it was just near a road, right? Yeah. Okay, so so then that makes it more... Yeah, it was, like, in this area that, like, obviously, I mean, you're never supposed to dispose of bodies, but, like, it was in an area that it was definitely, (laughs) like, sketchy to. Yeah. I don't... So it was just no witnesses Maybe I'll cut out me saying that, but... (laughs) We're okay, but this is definitely an illegal. <laughs> like if you were ever going to, <laughs> I'll just I'll just be honest. It was no cemetery. Okay, that's fine, <laughs> and that's all you have to say. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so... so then you said um, someone reported the body. So who found it? So the boy was found by a man who was just like walking through this abandoned lot. Convenient. Um, and he did tip off the bu- the police to this body, but it was a full day later. Uh, Supposedly because he didn't want to get involved, but it's like okay. I don't really feel like you have a choice. Yeah, like you're already you see it. This that's isn't your like high school drama. You don't get to say I don't want to be involved. We literally had whole PSAs about not being a bystander, and this man is like, I still don't want to get involved. Yeah, he's it's like, fine. listen, someone else's problem. <laughs> Because of this and because of, like, Philly winter weather, it ended up being impossible to accurately estimate when the boy passed away. So police kept the boy at the morgue while, like, visitors from literally 10 different states or more tried to identify the boy by looking for, like, any significant marks, but to no avail. 
Um, police also sent out 400,000 flyers of images of the boys to police stations, post offices, and courthouses all over the country. And even the American Medical Association sent out a description of the boy, like, to anybody who maybe would have done that medical procedure that they thought that he got. Mm. But it ultimately led to nothing. So, they did end up taking fingerprints of the boy, but there was actually no record of him ever existing in any databases. So then they also thought, because he's so young, to take footprints and compare it to, like, hospitals in the area. But again, they came up with nada. I mean, this is just so frustrating then, because it's like, okay, maybe he didn't even live in that area. Right. Which makes it even harder for them to try to locate him. Exactly. So this brings us to the first kind of lead that the police have, which is kind of also the thing why he is considered the boy in the box. Because when they were examining the box, they noticed a serial number on it, which kind of led them to be able to pinpoint the shipment it came from. And they were actually able to trace it back to a JCPenney store 15 miles away. The box was used to, and this is like, I don't know if it's like cryptic or just like sad or both. It was used to ship a bassinet. So... He was buried in that, or I guess not even buried, but he was just left in that bassinet box. I mean, it leaves you to question, like, how much of that is a coincidence. Right. You know? Yeah. So, the store had 12 of these bassinets, so they were able to, like, narrow it down to those 12. However, everybody that purchased them paid in cash. Luckily, eight of the people who purchased it did end up calling to the police and, like, coming forward when they read about the story in the papers, basically just to go on record that they either, like, still had the boxes or that they had the boxes taken out for trash collection, so, like, that it, there, it might be their box, but, like, someone else got their hands on yeah. it or what. I mean, these people definitely listened to that PSA about not being a bystander. Right. They were <laughs> like, I am not going to just stand around when I bought that bassinet at JCPenney and I know it. Exactly. And even if it might incriminate them, too. Right. And, like, I mean, also, like, people were coming forward being like, no, I still have the box. <laughs> You know, like, that's not mine, I swear. I wasn't the one to put the boy in it. I I love that. That's so good. Yeah. So this made it possible for the police to actually determine that the box was shipped to Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. So kind of narrows down where maybe the person who put the boy in that box might reside. Right. Another clue um, that the police have is the blanket that he was wrapped up in. The blanket was examined by the Philadelphia Textile Institute. Okay, so they're pulling out all the stops. I didn't even Literally. know what Textile Institute was a thing. I know. Could you imagine, like, how much they can do? You know? <laughs> right? Be like, this pattern needs I, something like, else. I can't. All those people must be so good at sewing. Right? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> um, well, anyway, so they believe that the blanket was either made in Granby, Quebec, in Canada, or Swannanoa, North Carolina. But unfortunately, there was really no way to tell, like, where this blanket was purchased from because thousands of it were made and sold. So the blanket lead becomes a dead end as well. Another interesting clue, which I don't honestly even know if I'm convinced that it is a clue or maybe it's a red herring or, you know, I don't really know. Um, But a hat was found about 15 feet from the box. 
Um, it's a blue corduroy Ivy League style cap, and it's size one and one eighth. Mm. I don't or seven and one eighth. I don't remember. Anyway, <laughs> I just remember being like <laughs> size hat. I don't. I don't really wear hats, as you can tell. No, neither do I. Um, it was labeled. Uh, from Eagle Hat and Company and made by the small company owner, Mrs. Hannah Robbins, in South Philly. She actually remembers the man who purchased the hat because she customized it herself for him. So she describes the man as between the ages of six, of 26 and 30, and he had requested for the, like, leather strap and buckle to be added to the hat, and he paid in cash, and she never saw him again. Um, which... <laughs> Kind of just makes me be like, okay, so, like, you said that you remember the man, and you're giving us a description. Yeah. But all you have given us is that he's between 26 and 30. Yeah, that, that could be anyone, girl. <laughs> Let's get specific here. Cut the game. Do you have, like, a skin color? Yeah, I mean, did you keep did a Did he receipt? have long hair or short? <laughs> did he have an accent? <laughs> did he talk just like you? Like, yeah. what? I don't... Nothing else. You can't give us anything. Okay, well... I, I don't know. I don't know what it's worth that he's between 26 and 30, because now he is I would have rather so she like... said nothing, because now he isn't right. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, detectives visited over, like, 100 stores within the area, but no one ended up recognizing the hat or the boy. Strands of hair were also found on the boy's body, suggesting a... <laughs> I'm using the exact term, because honestly, I don't really know, like, what exactly this means, but... Um, BuzzFeed Unsolved actually said that this <laughs> strands of hair were found on the boy's body suggesting a quote-unquote hasty haircut. Okay, I mean, like, was he just like, oh, shit, let me just get these ends Like, here. in a hurry? I don't, or, like, like carelessly? Yeah. I don't really know what they, what they want us to think when they say hasty, you know yeah. what I mean? But, so... And it's weird because you said the body had been washed, right? Right, so, like, mm. which makes me be like, was his haircut after he was washed? Like, so... On that same note, um, one forensic artist, Frank Bender, actually believes that the boy was possibly raised as a girl, and the haircut was given to conceal that. Um, Bill Kelly, an original investigator of the case, said that in 1957 and 1958, a West Coast artist actually did, like, create a rendition of the child as a girl, but it just kind of didn't produce any leads and no one really came forward saying it helped them or not i mean that would be interesting to see if they like ran his prints but maybe just had it be as a girl i don't know how they would do that but i mean i'm interested to see how their investigation would change if they knew they were looking for someone that was raised as a girl right and i'm also like i mean you know it's 1957 it's not like we're like super like fluid with what we're raising people as and we're not like I feel like it'd be easier to pinpoint someone being raised as a different sex then exactly or different gender then because I feel like it just like wouldn't be you know as accepted so if anyone knew about it maybe it like rubbed them the wrong way and they would come forward so I don't know how heavily I want to hold on to that thought you know yeah but someone definitely would have come forward to me like hey like this person's now missing, and they were already suspicious of them. I totally yeah, get that. Yeah, yeah. So, Remington Bristow investigated the case for 36 years, and, like, this guy was something. I'll just 36, run with that. Okay. 
Could you huh. imagine doing anything for, for 36, 36 years? <laughs> I can't even imagine living 36 years, let alone work on something. I, and you know, I hope you do. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you oh get God. there. Yeah. <laughs> but if you Remember, don't. It's okay. No, it's not. <laughs> Where are we going with this? I don't know. I feel mean, like if it happens, it happens. I hope it doesn't happen. Uh, me too. For my sake and yours. Oh, right. And for the podcast. So true. Where would we be? I don't know. Where would you be? I wouldn't be here. If we're still doing this when we're 36, 36. we'd also be balling out because I would give up by then. Because <laughs> we better be balling out by then. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah, this guy, Remington Bristow, he investigated the case for 36 years. Um, he gathered every newspaper clipping. Like, he's like the classic guy investigating something from a movie. Oh. Constantly getting Chinese takeout. Oh, know? my God. Um, and he spent thousands of dollars of his own money and countless hours trying to figure out who the boy in the box is. This is a very disturbing thing that he did, in my opinion. Okay. And I know he had his heart in the right place. But <laughs> Oh, my God. All right. No. No, he maybe he didn't. Tell he me. literally carried a mask of the boy's face that he made For in his briefcase. And he just, like, asked people if they've seen him. And it's like, couldn't you just bring a picture? <laughs> like, no, like a printout? Like, what was he doing? Like, holding know, up? He, like, put it on and stuff? I don't... I was like, why did you have that mask made? You know what? Wait, hold on. This was in 1957, right? mm -hmm. Maybe he thought if he, like... Well, I don't know exactly when this mask was made, but... Oh, right, because it could have been at any point during his investigation, but I mean... Could have been any point in the 36 years, but anyway. Oh, my God. I'm not going to try to rationalize his mask. Okay, what's (laughs) up with him, though? Well, he went around asking people, and nobody nobody came back with anything, so I don't know if the mask was worth it. It (laughs) just freaked people out, probably. It freaked me out. When I heard that, I was like, no, 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 he didn't. Ew. (laughs) Anyway, he actually thought that the boy, like, probably died accidentally, his newly cut hair and nails did make him, like, believe, like we said, that he was well taken care of. And probably the family just didn't come forward with the accidental death because they were afraid of being charged with murder. Which I can see. Right. And, like, that's, I think, exactly where my mind goes. As soon as I hear of, like, any little boy dying too soon, like, that's kind of, like, oh, it was some sort of accident, like... Anytime, like, the parents hide the body, it's because they didn't intentionally kill their kid. They did it, and they don't want to get caught or mm-hmm. whatever. For what And for whatever twisted <clears throat> reason, they're like, we can't. This is too right. much. Right. So, that's kind of what I thought, too. Anyway. So, Bristol um, looked into this, like, foster family that lived nearby. Um, and I guess, like, he had his alarm bells ringing about them. Um and the foster family had actually already been interviewed by the police. Um, at this foster family's 1961 estate sale, Bristol found a bassinet that he actually believed could have previously been stowed in the box that the boy was found in. Mm-hmm. So I guess that he had thought that the foster daughter was like, maybe the mother of the boy and that she had abandoned him in fear that she would like be revealed as a single mom. Unfortunately, Bristol passed away in 1993, but Tom Augustine, a Philadelphia detective took on the case shortly after. So he went to the home of Arthur Nicoletti, who is, you know, the former foster care 
um, homeowner. Okay. And his wife, Anna Marie, was actually the woman that Bristol theorized to be the mother of the boy in the box. Oh, did he get any... What did they say? So here's the thing. Anna Marie, in addition to being his wife, was also his stepdaughter. So already <gasps> sketchy. exactly um and she actually told augustine that she did have a boy who passed away in a weird way but um and also sorry i'm like getting ahead of myself um she did have a boy that passed away in a weird way but and morgue records um supported her statement however his death was caused from electrocution from a nickel ride outside of a store so it turns out that like all of this looking into this foster family just kind of went nowhere. So like, yeah, they're weird. Yeah, from that I could see two things that maybe would like lead him to believe that okay maybe they were involved because of the bassinet and just that weird like, yeah like I get why thing. he was like like into them a little like to think that they might be involved but like it's not what concrete a waste of time you know yeah so sad. Um, another theory that, um, the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode talked about as well, um, is from authors Lou Romano and Jim Hoffman, who came across a lead from a man in Philadelphia who said that his family once rented a place to a man who sold his son, who was possibly the boy in the box. Okay. Um, a forensic pathologist looked at photos of the boy's potential father and possible brother and agreed that similarities would warrant further laboratory testing. He found similarities in the facial structure, the helix of the right ear, and the nose. A DNA sample was taken from the man that they believed to be the brother as well. Now, it's not really clear what they did with this DNA at the time and uh, if it were tested or not, but investigators did say that they'll investigate it further. And that's kind of where the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode leaves you. However, I found a CBS Philly exclusive from just a few months ago from CBS Three Mysteries that basically said homicide detectives two years ago got an order to exhume the boy's body and remains. And basically, they sent them over to a lab in Europe. So police now have a DNA profile that they hope will lead them to family members of the little boy. I mean, frick yeah to, like, technology advancing and being able to do that now. Right. But still, even with that, there's one more theory that people just can't let go. God, okay. And honestly, it doesn't discount the DNA thing. Honestly, the DNA might prove this theory and it might lead them even closer into finding it. Basically, a psychiatrist from Cincinnati contacted Augustine, the investigator, and said that one of her patients insisted on speaking to the police. Her patient's name was Martha, and when she was 11 years old, her mother took her to a house where she allegedly handed an envelope over for a boy. So maybe some type of sale? Yes. So Martha said that she was sexually abused by her mother and that her mother wanted to do the same to the boy. She said that her mother beat the boy to death after struggling to bathe him and drove Martha and the boy to Philadelphia to abandon him. Martha spoke with investigators Tom Augustine, Joseph McGillan, and William Kelly, 
and McGillan and Kelly were one of the first on the boy in the box crime scene and all three of them were allegedly convinced by Martha's story. According to Bill Fleischer, who is a retired FBI agent, um, details of Martha's story, like, they just add up to people. The testimonies, addresses, and descriptions, like, all of it makes sense to all of the people involved. So, this is a strong theory, and with Martha's lead, like, the police have a lot, but they don't have enough to fully verify who the boy was. So, hopefully, with that story... And with their new DNA profile, we will find justice for the boy in the box. Thanks for listening. You can catch us on Instagram at the Chalkline Pod, Twitter at the Chalkline Pod, and you can follow along with our YouTube channel. The link is in the Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story.